The Spiritual Science of Tantra Yoga Introduction Yoga can be seen as a science. Though what the real science is, is perhaps the research that went behind yoga to create it and the research that continues to be done to improve and develop yoga. The same is being done with other traditions and needs to be done with other traditions as well as with yoga itself. Yoga is not really a science, yoga is a technology. It's techniques that use scientific principles in order to create an effect, in order to affect our consciousnesses. But it is based on very deep scientific principles. Now in the past, this science has been done in a rather haphazard way. There hasn't been a clear system for how to research and develop these ideas and there hasn't been clear discussion and supervision of different people's work. One one teacher says this is the way you do it, another teacher says something else. How do you compare and how do you decide what is right and what, which way should we do it? We don't really have a method. Um, those teachers who are very, very spiritually and intuitively developed are able to tell something about the right way of doing yoga and how it affects us. And so we trust these, to some extent, these people who have an ability to see. But the time has come to take spirituality into a truly scientific realm, into a way of doing things that is repeatable and structured. Now, I know some people from the spiritual realm don't feel like they want structured rationality to fit into the, into the spiritual world because they feel like there is some kind of conflict and that it takes away from the purity of the, of the feeling. And on the other hand, there are plenty of people from the rational world who feel that spirituality cannot and should not be part of rational science. But I think that the future depends a really good future for us and our planet depends on us having some more clear understanding of spirituality and how it works and to take that out of the hands of the elite few masters and into the hands of the ordinary people. Of course, it will never be truly in the hands of everybody. Science is not easily mastered and easily explored in its depth. 
but to a certain level um, it's possible and in the same way that in the last several hundred years rationality and science have liberated us from from some very dogmatic and rigid structures and beliefs in society and allowed us to grow and develop in the material world, a more scientific approach to the spiritual world will enable us to flourish and develop in that spiritual realm. So the question remains how we can do spiritual practices in a scientific way, or rather how we can study spiritual practices in a scientific way. The classic expectations of the way science is done don't really fit here. It's very difficult to get a machine that's going to test what's going on in your consciousness. We can test brainwaves, but brainwaves are only the most broadest physical expression of it. And before we even go there into developing some kind of idea about how we can study this in a scientific way, we need to first be clear about what we mean by science. What is science? Science is science machinery and gadgets. No, machinery and gadgets are an expression of it. Is science detailed, repeatable experiments? where you can prove the effect? No. The detailed, repeatable experiments are a good and useful part of science, but they're not the whole of it. And proof? Proof barely exists in science at all. The idea of proof is actually somewhat against basic scientific principles. The basic scientific principles are that we observe, we see with our senses and with our machinery and with whatever ways we have of observing. We make observations and we make theories about those. observations. And then we try and test those theories. The test of the theories is actually an attempt to disprove them, not to prove them. It's very difficult to prove anything, but a good theory is quite easy to disprove. If I make a theory that every time I drop anything, it will fall to the ground. 
because that's what gravity does, makes things fall to the ground. I take a stick and drop it and it falls to the ground. I take a leaf and drop it and it falls to the ground. I take a helium balloon and drop it, it doesn't fall to the ground. Ah, I just disproved the theory and we need a better theory. This is more common in science. But there are even theories and ideas that we don't know how to prove or disprove. But we still use these theories. Why? Because we seek the theories that best fit the observations. So we can have many theories and we can have many observations. And we can choose one that we think best fits the observations. Or even better, we can choose two or three possibly different ones and see until we have some more evidence. Keep the mind open to different possibilities. And in this way, we gradually improve our more and more detailed understanding of how the world works. And none of the theories are expected to be perfectly correct. They're all expected to be an approximation that we will improve as we go. Truth and further truth. And so we start with an observation, or many observations, and we develop a theory. And then we develop some tests, some experiments, to test our theory and to develop further observations. And this creates a kind of a cycle where we are observing theorizing, testing. It's also good to have a point where we compare this with other people. So I have my own theories and my own experiments and observations. Do others come to the same conclusions? And this is where repeatable experiments are important. Now, in the world of spirituality, observation is somewhat more difficult. It's difficult to see with our eyes what's going on. It's difficult to see with our machines what's going on. Though some people have developed some, some machines that claim, at least, to be able to measure some aspects of the spiritual energies and spiritual world. And so what are we left with? How do we observe and, and compare the effects of different spiritual practices such as yoga? The first way is simply to observe your experience. If you are going to do a meditation and you observe how happy do I feel, how peaceful am I, how stressed or tense am I, and then you do the meditation 
and then observe afterwards. How happy am I? How peaceful am I? We can add some other tests, joyful. How stressed. And then compare. Have Has something improved? Uh, this is not a very not a very statistically relevant sample. We only have one example here, one observation of what happens. We need more observations. But that doesn't mean that this observation is not science. This observation is the beginning of science. Even if you have simply started to observe your experiences, you're already doing science. Now this can be compared many times with different experiences and with different people. And as people develop in their spirituality and in their intuitive abilities, they become more and more able to do this very accurately. And there are also methodologies for keeping a more detailed record of this and and getting some very accurate results. Homeopathic provings are based on this technique. A homeopathic proving, you take a drop of the homeopathic. Actually, before you take the drop of the homeopathic, you record your experiences. And then after you take the drop of the homeopathic, you record your experiences, and you record them at intervals. So five minutes later, you record your experience. An hour later, you record your experience every day. And so you're able to see how things change from hour to hour and from day to day, and you're able to see what changed from that particular homeopathic there's also a double blind aspect to homeopathic provings, which is that some of the people will take placebos. They won't take the homeopathic, they'll just take water. And nobody knows who that is. The, the homeopaths, the ones who are supervising the trial the people who are taking the remedies themselves nobody knows which one is a placebo and which one is the real thing and so there this is to kind of guard against people just making up things or it's not even making up things it's because you believe in it then you make it a reality which is the placebo effect and so having done this kind of experiment, this kind of observation with a series of different people, you can then look at which ones were placebos and which ones were the actual remedy. And then you can compare. And the differences between the two are the things that you would see as being part of the remedy. By the way, for those who claim that 
homeopathy is just the placebo effect. This is the first biggest argument why that cannot be, because the whole of homeopathy is based on comparing it against placebos. And if it's just the placebo effect, then it can't have a different result to a placebo. Anyway, there is one basic methodology, and it's one that can be taken to great depths, and this is largely what the spiritual masters do. They don't use any other techniques apart from just feeling it and understanding what it does on that level. Perhaps there's the second thing that they would do is being able to observe it in others, which is the ability to see or perceive the movement of energies intuitively and to see how that affects other people, not just how it affects themselves. Another thing, another element that sometimes comes in is direct intuition, where you just get a feeling that you know something. Now this again, this should be tested, but in a master who has well developed their intuition, it's very reliable. And so some intuitive sense of how things are is an observation and should be recorded and treated as part of the science. It should not necessarily believed and be believed as being absolute truth. It's an observation, not a fact. And out of the observation we can make a theory. And we can, to some extent, believe our theories with the open mind that at some point they will change. Or they may change, at least. Another technique that maybe the more ordinary people with not such greatly developed intuitive powers can use, and also perhaps that allows us to be a little bit more repeatable with experiments, is muscle testing. So muscle testing is based on some things, some energies are positive in the sense that they create a very strong, powerful, expanding response in the body. Of course, this starts in the energy body and then is communicated to the physical body, but we can test it in the physical body. And other things create a negative response, the negative response being weak, also kind of depressed, stressed, tense. And so we can test this in the physical body by testing the strengths of particular muscles. One of the classic ways that this is done, the most simple and obvious way that people learn it, is you stick one arm out and you get somebody to push that arm down and test how strong it is. 
And then you say something true. You say, my name is Alexander. My name is Alexander, so it's the truth. Or my name is Alesha. It's also my name is also Alesha. It's also the truth. But and my arm will be strong when I say that. But if I say, my name is George, it will be weak. And this is something that you can test for yourself with a with a friend. It does take some practice and experience to be able to do this, to do this well. And there's a whole healing tradition called kinesiology based on it. And there are some some difficulties that crop up. There's something called switching, which is when your body responds oppositely and actually responds positively to a negative. So you can say something that's a lie and your body responds more strong than if you say a truth. And so in order to use this well, you need to test, calibrate that you are getting reliable results before you use it. Most people who have some strong spiritual practice will find that they get a fairly good good results, reliable results. At least with some practice. It can be worth learning a little bit about kinesiology, learning how to fix uh, issues with switching. I'm not going to go into that in detail here, partly because I'm not an expert in it, and partly because there's plenty more to get on with in this book. Maybe in the future, in the future I'll uh, learn up a few more detailed techniques and be able to teach you them. But for now, suffice to say, it's worth learning. It's worth practicing to be able to get a reliable muscle test. And if you look up about kinesiology and muscle testing and switching, you'll learn everything that you need to learn. And I encourage this because everything in this book is scientific in the sense that I've researched it and tested it and observed and made theories and tested those theories. But it's only the beginning of science. In order for these things to be truly accepted as truth, they should be tested by others as well. And they should be tested in more detail. I've not had the time or resources to be able to do detailed large tests on many people. And this should be done. And so it's well worth taking everything I say in this book and testing it, seeing that it's right. Maybe I made some mistakes. Sometimes I consider putting some mistakes in on purpose just to keep people on their toes and make sure that they do actually test this work because this is science. It's not believing what some expert says. It's testing it. To some extent, you have to believe the experts when, when they're dealing with difficult topics. When we're talking about quantum mechanics, 
there's not much science that I personally can do because it's so difficult to comprehend and the, and the equipment needed to observe it is so expensive and all of these issues. And so I do have to believe the scientists. But I know that the same scientists, the physicists and the chemists and the... And, and whoever else is studying these difficult modern science that I cannot study for myself, they've also been able to demonstrate other aspects of the science that I can, experiments I can do for myself. And so I kind of have some faith that they know what they're talking about. And this is where faith and belief comes in in science. We, we can't study everything ourselves, so we have to, to some extent, believe in the work of others. So muscle testing is a good way to do this. There are a few other ways of doing muscle testing that are worth knowing about. The, one, the hand out to the side is the most popular one to begin um, another one that's quite interesting is that if you stand up and you allow yourself to wobble, if you've got a positive expansive energy you'll fall forwards onto your toes and if you've got a negative collapsing energy you'll fall backwards onto your heels and so we get the yes and the no response in that way. Another one is the ring. If you make a ring with your thumb and index finger and with the other hand another ring and interlock the two rings and try to pull them apart with some force. If your energy is very strong, if you have a positive, you should be able to hold those rings tight and not be able to pull them apart. But with a negative response, when I say, no, my name is George, then my fingers pull apart very easily. I'm not able to hold that strength in. And another useful one for working by yourself is the breath test. You simply observe your breathing. A yes, a positive response, the breath goes deep into the lower abdomen. And a no, a negative response, the breath goes shallow, into the chest. And so we have a few kinesiology tests that you can try and apply yourself. And certainly you can go and learn more if you're interested. What other observation methods can we use? I spoke about the level of happiness. That's quite a clear indicator of effectiveness of spiritual practices. And so one can simply observe that level of happiness before and after a practice. And similarly, happiness, sense of love and connection, sense of peace. 
some practices, some techniques are not just about observing in yourself. They need to be compared with other people, understanding how other people work. And so sometimes the science is about listening and, well, the observation is about listening and asking questions of others. And this is maybe particularly useful for developing theories about how things work and how people work. And the psychological aspects of it that we learn by talking to people is certainly part of of the observations that are necessary. Is there anything else? Any other methodologies that I've missed out? Off the top of my head, this is this is around about it. There is the observation, the direct observations of experience, the observations and understanding of others. The intuitive knowledge that we get by observing spiritual energies, direct intuitions, channeling. And there is understanding and questioning and listening to others. Perhaps I should say a little bit more about the observation of energies observing energies is not a rare thing most of us would experience the kind of peace that is felt when stepping into a beautiful church Or cathedral. And this is not entirely about decorations and beauty and the physical characteristics of it. This is also about the spiritual energies that have been created in that place. And similarly, when there is a stressful situation, when there's an argument in a room, most of us would feel it. We have some experience of spiritual energies, though some might doubt whether that's really what's what we're experiencing or not. Fair enough. If the experience is not very strong, not very clear, then it's difficult to tell exactly what's going on. What happens with masters, with great spiritualists and spiritual teachers, is that they have developed their ability to sense this to a much finer degree. And so they can sense exactly where the energies are, what they are like, what they are doing. Some people experience them in in different ways. Some people experience them as simply as feelings and some would actually see colors. 
Some even talk about angels and beings. Um, the basic theory about angels and beings is that, that the, at least as far as I can make out the best, most sensible theory, is that it's kind of like wave-particle duality in physics. Spiritual energies all have a some kind of consciousness, and so they are a being on some level, as are emotions, and as are, as are pretty much everything. Any plant, any animal has a consciousness, as is a being. Even the rocks, there is a certain level of consciousness, and there's a certain beingness to them. And so everything can be seen as a being or as a substance or an energy. So effectively there is not much difference between seeing energies and seeing angels. It's just a different way of understanding and comprehending them. And so masters develop very very clearly their intuitive abilities, their ability to sense what's going on. And one of the theories that's quite interesting to work with is the theory of microvita, the idea that these spiritual energies are actually communicated through tiny subatomic particles that are much smaller than anything we have yet discovered. And though there's no way of testing this theory at the moment, it seems to make sense. As I mentioned a moment ago, wave-particle duality. All frequencies and waves in the subatomic, at the subatomic level, are also particles. And so if we think of these spiritual energies as some kind of frequency, some kind of waveform, which is the way we normally talk about them, vibes, vibrations, energies, and we talk about the raising of frequency, etc. If this is true, then they must also be particles. And so there must be little particles, much smaller than what we can observe as yet through physics, because they are carried alongside other particles, even light particles which are very, very small and weightless, can carry with them the subtle energies. This is this is the basic uh, basic functionality behind astrology. By the way, so when we're thinking about these little particles, which are also waves can think that there would be different kinds of particles and different frequencies of waves 
and some of them would have quite different effects to others. And so we're not simply talking about the quantity of spiritual energy, but the quality of it. Now another aspect that can be quite useful here in terms of observation is to observe the levels of consciousness. There are a set of different levels of consciousness that have been recognized and recorded throughout all of the traditions that I have seen in the world, including the Western psychological tradition, including Christian tradition, including Buddhist, Hindu yoga. Each one talks about this levels of consciousness that people go through and that these same levels of consciousness can be recognized in all people. All people go through the same process, the same stages. Um, And understanding these can allow you to recognize exactly what level of consciousness you are functioning in. And also, when you do a spiritual practice or some yogic practice, to be able to recognize what it does to those levels of consciousness and which aspect of consciousness is it strengthening. This can be quite a useful useful tool in understanding exactly what this practice is doing. Perhaps it doesn't tell us exactly, but it certainly gives us a little bit more of a hint than without that concept. So we'll cover that in uh, shortly. But before we go on to that, I want to mention another system that's quite useful, which is the levels of truth. This was developed by Dr. David Hawkin. Hawkins, I believe. Um based on kinesiology, on the muscle testing that we already talked about. And through the muscle testing, he was able to ask the body questions, yes or no questions, about the level of upliftment on a scale of zero to a thousand. And the body was able to quite accurately place its own experience, experience of others, and even the energies held within books and items and spaces on this scale of zero to a thousand. Zero being so depressing that you cannot live with it. People kill themselves if they ever get close to zero. Thousand being so uplifted that you cannot remain conscious of the physical world and you go into kind of uh, samadhi where your consciousness is in another world, nirvana. And if you permanently permanently go beyond a thousand or up to a thousand, then you die and leave your body behind, and which is 
where you get these uh, stories of Tibetan monks who meditated and never came back from their meditation and their bodies didn't decay. No, I haven't actually tested attested that these stories are true. Um, but uh, conceptually, it seems possible based on my understanding of and observation of other things. And certainly, it's known and understood and makes a lot of sense that when you reach beyond this a thousand level you cannot live in your physical body anymore in some traditions this is called spiritual death you die by being too spiritual it's not a bad way to die it's like absolute happiness So this scale of zero to a thousand has been mapped quite in quite some detail with uh, by David Hawkins and some of his um, students also have developed a little bit and been able to apply it in many situations. And it actually links to this concept of the different layers of consciousness, the different frequency ranges within this uh, scale of consciousness scale of levels of truth sorry correspond to particular uh, levels of the mind and so we can actually give things numerical value according to their power of upliftment this can only be accurate I mean this can only be demonstrated to be accurate if it's tested among different people and different people get the same result, for sure. But there are cases where this this kind of method is very useful. And it's kind of nice to be able to actually put some numbers in the spiritual world. <laughs> 